0: Hello, oh, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a classical podcast for the modern era.
1: Ooh, yep, there's it. a That's new a intro. Segment.
0: Everybody, buckle up for knowledge. Oh, there it is. There it is again. <laughs> That can't, Aww. please no, that can't be it. Uh, Graham lent me a book, and he put a post-it note on the front that said, Buckle Up for Knowledge, and I kept it on my walks. I still think it's hilarious. Anyway. Uh, what uh, book did I lend you? Uh, Survival State. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember that. How's okay. that? How's it going? I haven't started. Oh. Um, well, that's it. <laughs> Great note to start this <laughs> one. Uh, well, listeners, as many of you know, I uh, tend to sit back in my chair as I um, uh, am recording these episodes, and every once in a while, I tumble out of my chair. Some might call it... <laughs> oh, gosh. ...the fall of man. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> We've got to oh, stop you
1: nailed this. Oh, it.
2: How can I stop this from <laughs> happening is my question. You're introing the next one, so you <laughs> get to... <laughs> So I can shoot and I can just be like, well, we're just doing it.
0: No. Uh, Graham, uh, I believe you have prepared for some more information. Fantastic. The Fall of Man. Yes. And Book
1: Nine of. Today in the podcast, we are going to talk about Book Nine of Paradise Lost, The Fall of Man. And we'll talk about The Fall of Man, but also just a couple of the um, things that Milton. You can sort of derive what Milton thinks about human nature from the fall of man and um, and especially when you look at sort of Adam and Eve before they fall to Adam and Eve after they fall, the kinds of things that they begin to emphasize. Um, For example, they're still in love after the fall, but they emphasize different things than they did before the fall. And these things are kind of interesting to think about um, um, – yeah, just to think about how – since sin is twisted good, according to Milton, um, we can still recognize good things, but post-Lapsarian, they're twisted. Anyway, but before we get into that, I'm just going to give a little brief um, sort of context reminder of everybody of what we're sort of talking about. So Milton was British poet. He wrote Paradise Lost, and his job, what he wanted to do was he wanted to justify the ways of God to man, especially when it came to mankind's fall. So, so why? it's yeah. the
2: common question asked by any high schooler I've had in my leadership classes, which is, why did he put the tree mm. in the garden? That's right. right. Especially if he's outside of time and he knew we would fall, why is the tree there? The question does of he the Odyssey. He does watch? answer that. Yeah, yeah. Is that um, in book nine? It's not in
1: book nine. It's in book 12 where he answers it. And the uh, the last book... After the fall, Adam's super depressed, and he says, "I all I'm going to give birth to is death. Or I mean, all Eve's going to give birth to is death. All we're going to do is give birth to things that are creatures that are fallen, and they're just going to suffer. Why? And then they're just going to curse my name. Why should I um, do that? And Adam's considering killing himself. Wow. Um, and so uh, Gabriel has to come down and say, like, all right, buddy, I'm just going to tell you what the rest of history is going to be so you kind of know what to expect.
2: Yeah, because... I mean, if you put yourself in his place, like if you're Adam and you just fell and you knew you brought this horrible thing into the world and only strife was to come of it, you had cursed all of creation. If you, you know, that seems like a good reason to sort of (laughs) like think about how much pain you would stop by sort of Mm offering yourself. You prevent all those wars, all that pain. And so Gabriel has to come down and he tells him
1: uh, that he basically works up to the big moment. And he says, the big moment is that God is going to come down and dwell with us as a man. He said, and and Gabriel sort of walks through him the Old Testament and the, and sort of God's relationship with the Jews and then Jesus, the crucifixion, the gospel, and then he says, and after this, um, God is going to dwell in the hearts of man. So the 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 same presence, the same Spirit that created the universe is going to live in your human breast and Adam. Freaks out and he says, That's absolutely amazing. Mm. And Adam kind of has this moment where he says, Maybe it was even better that this happened oh. this way, which is, I mean, I mean that's a, there's a whole tradition called Felix Culpa, which is a fortunate fall. Mm. Um, but Milton just has that saying that God can take the bad and can work it into greater good. Mm. And then Satan takes the good and tries to work it into greater bad. And God comes
2: back. And then and God tur- flips it on him. <laughs>
1: and then God flips it on him every That's gotta time. That's got to
2: be frustrating. Yeah. It is. Fr- it's probably as, super as frustrating. As Satan, I would just be... Like, I mean, even think about the crucifixion. Yeah. You're like, he came down and I got him. And then you're like, oh, it was all... That <laughs> it was, was all his plan, plan all along. Yeah. Yeah. I just helped him effect the salvation exactly. of the world. Gosh darn it. Like, it'd be so frustrating. And Satan realizes
1: it, too. He says that whatever I do, uh, it redounds upon my rebellious head. Mm-hmm. And... um um, so he knows it, but he just can't help himself by doing it. Sorry, I took um, you so It's all right. So then phone. Gabriel tells him what happens, and Adam says, this is amazing. Then I will continue to live because I know that God is going to dwell with man, and that seems to be better. And then Gabriel says, this having learned, thou hast attained the sum of wisdom. Mm-hmm. He says, You've, you now know it. And he says, don't worry about what stars are made of. Don't worry about, like, trying to number everything or, or know everything. Um, only add deeds to thy knowledge, answerable, add faith, add virtue, patience, wisdom, add love, by name to come called charity, the soul of all the rest. Then wilt thou not be loath to leave this paradise, but shall possess a paradise within thee, happier far. This is what Gabriel said. So he says that you can... Was that,
2: was that from memory? That was from memory. Was
1: awesome. Memory palace, suckers. Was, that, was Did it you memory palace? palace oh, yeah, I have memory palace, a small section of uh, Paradise Lost.
2: And I am vindicated. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, anyway, so to answer your question, um, yeah, uh, for why the tree was God lit. takes the fall and works it into a uh, in this thing where now the church lives in the fallen world, but those who have the spirit of God are meant to continue to do the task that Adam and Eve did, which mm-hmm. is to turn the world into a garden. Mm-hmm. But it's not a physical garden of Eden. It's God's kingdom yeah. and, and his church militant in the world coming and, um uh, and, and eradicating sin. Anyway, so that's the so that's good news. Yeah. Um. But uh. But let's talk a little bit about the fall because it. it um. In book nine, it's got some interesting. Um, things to say about just sort of human nature. So. Um. So in book nine, Satan. Comes back to the garden after having sort of, um, for some reason, he decides to circumnavigate the world seven times. Um, <laughs> and he comes back. When you got nothing else to do, yeah, nothing else to <laughs> do. Well, he was first. He was running away from angels that were chasing him. When they found out he was in the garden, and then he comes back. And after this time, um, the, w- the Ra- angel Raphael has come down to Adam, and has told Adam. He said, "Listen, there's a devil in your garden. I want you to be aware that this is happening." And Adam's like, "Cool, that's great and everything, but can you tell me what stars are made of?" <laughs> And Raphael says, I don't think you're really paying attention to what I'm saying. There's a devil in your garden. And Adam, this is true, and this gives my students no end of delight, asks if angels do it. He's like, do angels do what Eve and I do? And Raphael's like, buddy, listen, you are focusing on the wrong things. Um, there is a devil in your garden. You need to be careful about this. Anyway. I mean, isn't it implied in scripture that
2: they do? Like, they, I don't think. Well, every, Milton says they don't. Or, I think Milton's wrong. Mm. There isn't isn't there stuff in Genesis? That well, talks about the angels coming. There's down There's the angels and coming down and
1: dwelling with man, and then creating the race oh, the of giants, giant. the, nephilim. the nephilim. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. but that's so not. That's... But they're not supposed to be doing that. So uh, the the question isn't whether they're <laughs> supposed to. The question is whether they do. I feel like glad... This is a
0: very Aristotelian <laughs> argument, yeah, a, yeah. conversation we're having. Because the old medieval argument, or is like how ag- many angels can you fit on the the yeah. head? Yeah, not Aristotelian.
1: A very like Thomas Aquinas
2: argument we're having. But I I mean, if they. If that happens in scripture, it sure seems like...
1: You're falling into the same trap Adam did. Mm. We shouldn't be talking about... There's this a devil prowling around. Wow. Called
2: out. <laughs> just, you, you could say that <laughs> about... I, you. I wow. feel like that'd be something you could say about anything. Like, you could be talking to our high schoolers who are talking about their Fortnite scores and uh. be like, why are we talking about Fortnite? There's a devil prowl- prowling around. You just stumbled on should. my you're you're on my teaching pedagogy. You no, no. No. It's just threatening your students with demons? Yeah. Like
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um... Pretty much, he didn't say no. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so then this is important because halfway through the conversation, when Adam starts asking about stars, Eve like politely excuses herself <laughs> and goes and continues to do work. Um, and that same day, doesn't Adam tell her like you need to stay nearby? Because- no, that's in book nine. Okay, so and this is where Adam makes uh, there's a, sort of this interesting mistake. So Adam and Eve are coming together, and um, they the garden is getting a little bit bigger, and they have a, they have work to do. And Eve has really her mind set on the the thing that God has asked them to do, which is turn the earth into a garden. And the promise is, is that when they turn the earth into the garden, God says, uh, your task on earth will be be done and you will come and you will dwell with the heavenly beings and, quote, you shall be as gods. Mm -hmm. That's kind of God's plan for humanity was... Adam and Eve were to have lots of children, and those children were to fill the earth and subdue it and take Eden, this little seed that looks like heaven, and fill kind of this brushy, wastelandy earth with it. Right. And turn the, the, this planet into a garden, and then we will sort of um, apotheosis up to God and be like, be like gods. So this is Adam and Eve's mission, and Eve is a character that seems more focused on that task, and Adam is a character that is more focused on just the glories of everything that there is to discover about this. And not, it's not that Adam is wrong or lazy. It's just they are reflecting different natures of God. And we talked about this if you go and listen to the Theology of Milton podcast. Um, Adam is really concerned with abundance and just sort of understanding everything and, and naming everything. And he's just completely stoked that this world is so abundant. And Eve is one who is more t- uh, resonates more with God's order. And then she is going and um, she is making the beautiful things more beautiful. And just as a, as a quick little footnote, um, when Adam and Eve come together in the marriage bed, um, those two natures, order and abundance, create life. And so Adam's abundance um, with Eve's order uh, creates a new, a new
2: child. Um, so order be- then becomes sort of a, an integrated, necessary aspect of life. That's right. Yeah. Um, and creation is ordered abundance. If you just have abundance
1: without order, you have chaos. Mm-hmm. And if you have order without abundance, you have sort of one rigid
0: r- law.
2: Or- Does this kind of reflect sort of a, a medieval understanding of the world that is different from our modern one? Right. We look at nature and we might see randomness where the medievals looked at nature and what they saw was ordered Alrighty ordered yeah. harmony and abundance. Yeah. And part of that was just the, their view of the cosmos. But sure. Part of that is just what they saw in nature, right? Mm-hmm. They saw an ordering, you know, kingdom phylum, that sort of thing. They didn't see evolution. They saw order and categorization. Yeah.
1: Uh, it's always f- fascinating that if you go into the subatomic level, it is randomness. Like the quarks and quarks mm-hmm. are going around at sort of, uh, an unpredictable thing, but you zoom up a couple of levels and you can say predictable things about what... a what a uh, an atom is going to do, what a carbon atom is going to do. You can say, if I mix it with this, this will always happen. So there's this interesting, like, even at the at
2: the basic level you have this sort of chaos but when you come up a, f- a couple of uh, degrees you have order. Isn't it true that about su- certain subatomic par- particles you can't say where they are exactly. at any given point yeah, yeah. in time? Like they are never in one spot? Mm-hmm. I always
0: get this wrong. You, uh, you can either know where they are or where they're going but you can't test for both. Yeah. So the test for one will move it or change its yeah. speed so you can only know one thing or the other about Crazy.
1: it. Crazy. So that, yeah. Anyway, um, so... <laughs> we are not physicists. <laughs> exactly. <Yes, laughs> yeah. Couldn't catch on. Yeah, go to physical stuff you should know. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a different podcast. Um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, so Adam and Eve are. Uh, <laughs> I love this podcast. I oh, uh, okay. have
2: some editing to do. So no, no, this is just fine. So in.
1: in the next. So, yeah. So they wake up one morning and Eve wants to uh, do more focused work. And Adam says, I don't really want to split up. Let's stay together. And Eve says, that's fine. But if we split up, we can probably get it done more efficiently. And Adam doesn't want to do this, and he doesn't want to do this for two reasons, and both of those reasons are good, but he puts them in the wrong order. So the real big reason that Adam doesn't want to leave Eve is he kind of just really likes her, and he just wants to be around her all the time. He loves Eve, and he doesn't want her to go off by herself because he's just going to think about her, and he's not going to get any work done, and he just wants to be near her. Which is a good thing. Sounds like some dudes I knew in high school. That's right. And then the other reason, and then Eve sort of kind of, you know, basically uh, says, well, that's not, I mean, we can just think of all the work we can
2: get done. We'll meet up. I'm here for eternity. Like, we're going to talk tonight. (laughs) And doesn't she kind of say, like, our absence will make the heart grow fonder? Exactly. I'm going to be away a little while, and that'll make you so much more glad to see me when I come back.
1: And he's like, "Mm." and then he comes up. He's like, oh. I know why we should stick together. There's a devil out here. Um, So that's why we should stay together. And then she has this, uh, but he doesn't really emphasize it very much. It's very much his secondary argument. And she says, well, if we're living in fear, um, then it's not paradise. And God must have given us enough to resist the devil. So we um, uh, we shouldn't have that be an excuse to never be apart. Like, that's not a sustainable answer is basically what she says. We're going to have to
2: be a part eventually because as this job continues in scope and scale. But she's assuming that the devil is always going to be in the garden. That's right. He's never going to get – Raphael never going to come down and boot him out. That's right. So,
1: um, and so Adam sort of allows her to go off. And But so as a student pointed out this in class, like Adam has made – he's he's ordered things wrong. Like he's focusing on the wrong thing. And my student's question was, is that a sin? And so we debated this back and forth, and I think the conclusion we came to, at least one that I find somewhat satisfying, is that making logical mistakes is not sinful, and so if you it's but it's part of growing and understanding. So if you learn um, by failure, like in a math class, when you when you don't get the right answer, you have not like sinned against God, right. um, and so when Adam is. So, like, if Adam and Eve came together and they said, what's an efficient way to cut down this tree? And then they did it and they realized it was not a very efficient way, um, like, scraping it to, <laughs> until it was a toothpick was not efficient. Um, uh, that's, not that's not a sin. It's just they, they, they made the wrong mistake. So that's, hmm. um, and the fact that Eve – so, this is why God blames Adam more than Eve after the fall is because Eve was tricked and she kind of got her head twisted around with the devil's lies. And ate the fruit. Eating the fruit was a sin. The disobedience was a sin. Um, but Adam but knew. But the snake had said, "This was God's plan all along." Yes, like, he wants you to do this. Yeah, and, and so, so she was. Twisting. And so she gets tricked. Um, but she does it. But Adam, when he is doing it, he's like, "I know exactly what I'm doing," and he eats it. And so this is why God comes down and he says that like Adam is the, is blameworthy for this. So this is why the sin is associated with Adam. Um, and. Anyway, so there's this idea that, yeah, so that's the first kind of interesting thing is like logical mistakes aren't sinful. Or the fact that we have to work in math class is not because we've fallen. Mm. Um, So this this student also asked, and he said, so does this mean that Jesus, who is without sin, made mistakes in math? When he was like learning his sums or learning to like make make a carpet, you know, making cabinets. Did he make a bad cabinet?
0: But he grew up in knowledge. So mm-hmm. um, he must have. he must have learned over time.
1: And is is so? Does learning always imply mistake
2: making? I I kind of feel like it does. It think, has to. I think either that or his dad, his family instantly became the <laughs> the, the most famed yeah. wealthy carpenters ever because he could never make an imperfect chair. But is
1: that is that
2: what day, it means to be chairs. like without sin? I don't know. Well, here here's a good question. Like, would Jesus can be you, great at skateboarding? Can you meet mm. someone who is? Perfectly good and yet bad at skateboarding. Yes. I think you can. Yeah. Right. I can meet a carpenter who is the best person I've ever known and still can't make a chair to save his life. Yeah. I don't think that necessarily making perfect objects is innate in goodness. Mm -hmm. So I pointed this out because it was
1: something I think all students need to hear is that their, their growth in learning, the mistakes that they make or... The grades that they don't make mm-hmm. that they are dissatisfied with is not, not some, some kind of sin on their lives or it's not – it could, it could it be – but that is a, uh, a secondary thing. So it could be a, because of laziness. Yeah. It could be because of right. lack of work. But the outcome itself. They're not willing to do like, it. But, uh, but, um, uh, but the honest effort with the missed mark. Of perfection in an essay or math class is not is not a sin a sin against God.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and mistakes like that can be an opportunity for sin Mm -hmm. if you become jealous of someone else who did it correctly the first time or you do it. Angry
1: at someone. mm -hmm. Or
2: pride if you do it right every single time and never have a mistake. And every time you hand it
1: in, your little heart is singing, you are indeed a tiny god. Right. That is, you know, that's a (laughs) sinful thing too. Um, (laughs) I am a ninth grade (laughs) god. Um, anyway, so that's the first little interesting thing uh, to, to to see. This is Adam makes this l- mistake in his affections, but it for uh, at least according to Milton, it was not a mistake that like pulled the trigger on the fall. Mm. Um, anyway, so second little interesting thing that happens in Book Nine. Can I ask something? Oh, by so all that means, the first one
0: uh, is that something that this year sophomores brought up, or is that something you normally talk about with your? College? This
1: is something we've never
0: normally talked. Oh, cool. Yeah,
1: this is something. Um, I can't remember who th- came up with it first. Did it did Oftentimes what happens in this class is we read a section out loud, mm. and some part of the section that I've read over and over and over just pops out, and I'm like, ooh, that's interesting, and I bring it up as a question. And I honestly can't remember this year if it was something that popped into my head or if it was prompted by a question from a student. Cool. But that happens all the time, and that's why these books – continue to be able to be read year after year after cool. year It's because... Well, and
0: there's something to be said for reading it in class with everyone there. Yeah, yeah. So you actually mm-hmm. are looking at the text instead of my memory of the text from the night before mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know, the morning totally. when I read yeah. it. Totally, yeah.
1: Yes, or the spark notes yeah, sure. of the text. Um, to any listeners out there... <laughs> read the book. Read the book. Read the book. Um, anyway, so the next thing is is that when Satan comes back to earth... He sees the beautiful Garden of Eden, and it looks like a tiny heaven, and he's like, oh, man,
2: I miss it. Hey, guys. I know this is kind of coming at a weird time. What happened was, as we recorded, I was trying to fiddle with the recording program, and I fiddled poorly, and I accidentally stopped the recording mid-sentence. And try as I might, I can't find a good way to put things back together in a way that sounds natural. So I'm going to stick myself in the middle of things here and just say, I'm sorry. And instead of having Bees and Graham re-record an entire episode, which would mean our conversation is stilted and repetitive and because we're doing it for the second time, I just decided, you know, I'm going to stick myself in here, apologize, and then let the audience continue on uh, after my apology. So I'm sorry, something a little in the middle of the episode here to kind of break things up, but... Here we go, we're gonna jump back into it. And I know the transition's a little goofy. Sorry about that.
1: So this has happened a couple times, yeah, with Satan sees a beautiful thing and it cuts him to the core. But there's a different thing that happens when he sees Eve. And when he sees Eve, Adam um Sorry, Milton makes reference that there's a change that actually happens on the inside of Satan for a brief moment. So I'm just going to actually read the scene, uh, read the section of when Satan sees Eve, and this is the next little kind of interesting tidbit or takeaway from book nine. So uh, he sees Eve and in her look sums all delight. Such uh, she most, oh yeah, and sums all delight. Such pleasure took the serpent to behold this flowery plat. The sweet recess of Eve, thus early, thus alone, her heavenly form angelic, but more soft and feminine, her graceful innocence, her every air of gesture or least action overawed his malice. And with rapine sweet bereaved his fierceness of the fierce intent it brought that space, the evil one abstracted stood from his own evil and for the time remained stupidly good. Of enmity disarmed, of guile, of hate, of envy, of revenge. But the hot hell that always in him burns, though in mid heaven, soon ended his delight and tortures him now more. The more he sees of pleasure not for him ordained. Mm-hmm. So basically, what is being said here is Satan sees Eve, and for a second, Satan says that he is abstracted from his evil, he get- is stupidly good.
2: So it's like that moment when you've been having a really, really terrible day, but on the ride home, it's kind of pretty. The wind is blowing through your That's car. That's right. And you have that moment where you just sort of forget about everything else. Yeah. And it's good. So
1: Satan, um, yeah, there's a, there's a second where – because Satan is good deep in his creation. Like as a created being, he was created good. So his sin is not something where he is now – a completely different kind of entity from everything else. He's just an entity with all of his loves and all of his orders and all of his desires are so twisted and messed up that um, um, that he's just he's just a mess. Um, he's uh, um, all like the. Uh, The Christmas lights are all so intertwined that you can't intertwine, uh, you can't untangle them. And it's just, you know, it's not what it was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But for the second, when he sees Eve, he is abstracted from his evil and he feels for a moment what it was like to have been heavenly again. It feels for a moment being a heavenly being again. And that's what it means when it says that he was abstracted from his own evil, stupidly good. Not stupid that he's an idiot, but that his goodness is coming. Um, um, sort of apart from his effort. Um, But then the moment passes and all his hatred and envy and anger rush back in and he's even more angry because he can't stay being this good thing and he has that feeling of when he sees a beautiful thing, he just wants to smash it because he's guilty of who he is.
2: Um, So it's like that moment if I was, maybe if I was some sort of street urchin, and I looked in a window and saw this beautiful, expensive, you know, car. Or a happy
1: family Thanksgiving dinner. Or a happy
2: family. And for a second, I was just, I was sort of transported to that place. Mm -hmm. And then when I returned to myself, I was like, oh, that's something, that's beautiful, but I will never have it. And then you're you're angry towards that thing. Right. And then I'm compelled to break the window or, you know, blow up their mailbox Mm -hmm. or something.
1: Yes, exactly. Similar kind of thing. Um, And so... um, What we talked about in class and this little tidbit is that like even – so even in creation, beauty has this moment to almost untangle the fall for a second Mm. and give you a sense of what um, the unfallenness would have been like. And the students really want to talk about that uh, in class when we mention it because – They themselves, as human beings, have undoubtedly had that kind of experience with music or with nature or with friends or with just lovely, beautiful things. Is that the thing we call deep joy? And that's the thing we call deep joy, and we save that for our Romanticism Unit. And I'm going to save a big discussion about that for a a podcast on Romanticism, which I fully understand is not classical, but whatever. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But we'll talk about that. We'll talk about romanticism and classicism a little bit later. But anyway, so Milton has this thing where, yes, beauty has this capacity to bring us out of the fall for a moment. Mm-hmm. And this is also why people fall, like, fall in love with w- chasing after beautiful things. So this is something we'll talk about when we read uh, Dorian Gray in Senior English, that people fall in love with the beautiful thing as opposed to what the beautiful thing is telling them to fall in love with, which is the author of beautiful things. So
2: I remember a, a while back, we, you and I had a conversation about why, how can a Christian justify art? Yeah. Right? Art doesn't necessarily help people. It doesn't necessarily feed people or clothe people. Mm-hmm. It seems like I could be better using my time in prayer or in service or in volunteering. Mm-hmm. It seems like, I mean, I kind of ended ended the conversation in a place where I said art is justified because we universally view it as good and we find interacting with it as good. And it's it's a part of our nature that just, it's good, so we can't kill it. Mm-hmm. But this seems like a, perhaps a better argument for yeah, it. Yeah. That, that, What this can do is help to break us out of the fall for a moment and experience what the world should be. It's
1: a little taste of heaven that leaves you wanting for more. So uh, uh, seeing the beautiful thing and you have that sort of transcendental moment of, oh my goodness, this is beautiful, um, makes you long for the place where that beauty sort of uh, comes from its source.
0: Yeah, I feel like like we talk about truth, goodness, and beauty a lot, but end up teaching more on truth and goodness. Mm-hmm. So I always wonder where that place of beauty comes in. We we take the freshmen uh, on a trip to Colorado and they get to have these you know, beautiful nature scapes. Um, so there are small experiences like that.
1: Yeah. And when we talk about kids growing up or maturing, um, uh, I think a lot of time we think about just them being good students academically or being able to you know, think about are they going to be respectful on their first job? And you know those sorts of things. But there is a deep, big part of maturity that comes with how do you rightfully have reverence to beautiful things? How can you, uh, or being able to say, this thing is more beautiful and more worthy of my time and attention and affections than these other things. Yeah. Um, and usually we tend, modern in the modern world, we tend to just dismiss that by talking about tastes. I just like this, you just like that, you can't tell me that the thing that I like is better or worse than the thing that you like. It, f- at least for Milton and in the classical world, that's not true. There were things that were, um, that were just sort of better for the human person to dwell on, live in, and be ob- obs- observing and absorbed into than other things.
2: And, and I think that rubs us the wrong way today. Yeah, and if you didn't like them, it wasn't a fault in the art. Or just a different taste. It was a fault in you. Mm -hmm. But if you cannot recognize the beauty in this work, Mm -hmm. it is you that are deficient rather than something else.
1: Yeah, C.S. Lewis talks about
2: that he doesn't like kids. And, like, when he hangs out with kids, he
1: finds them kind of annoying. But he realized that's a deficit or that's a deficiency in his personality as opposed to something wrong with kids.
0: Guys, this is basically what I'm going to be talking about in our next episode. Oh, then I will will stop talking.
1: All of this connects. It's it's a web.
0: (laughs) Our our (laughs) our brains are a web. Ah.
1: Um, anyway, so Satan has this moment, but then um, the other thing that you, that we should be very careful to point out so that we can remain Orthodox Christians is that beauty, it does not sanctify you. Like, mm-hmm. beautiful things cannot undo the fall. Um, beauty cannot save you. Only the Spirit of God can save you. Um,
0: maybe that's probably Dorian Gray. Isn't that yes. Yeah, saying? and yeah. that's,
2: that's the beauty. problem with a lot of folks is they get completely waylaid, and, way, waylaid by something beautiful and they say, I've dedicated my life to music and... Chasing after the thing, chasing still haven't the found
1: thing. what I'm looking for, uh, Bono.
2: Right, and and I think that's where that huge despair comes for celebrities and famous people every once in a while is the guy who there was a guy who recently won the Super Bowl and he went home and he was super sad because he's like, this is it, this is what mm-hmm. I gave my life to, and it's when you've chased this thing that you thought contained the beauty and mm-hmm. come to find that it doesn't. It's simply a conduit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and and Satan reflects that as well. And so
1: that makes him even angrier towards Adam and Eve and wanting to destroy them. Um, the third little thing uh, that we can take away from book nine that's kind of interesting is why Satan goes after Eve. And I can't remember if I mentioned this in the other Milton podcast. I think you did. And it's because, so very briefly, um, Satan is the first created thing and he thinks he's the best. Eve is the last created thing. And so in Satan's mind, she's the worst. Like God just ran out of the good flower. And so, you know, she's just made of... Poorer stuff. Rye. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just like wood shavings. A little bit of sawdust. Yeah. Filler. Um, Anyway, so in his mind, she's the easiest to take down. Um, And this, but this will feed into something. This view of hierarchy and this view of inequity or inequality um, is something that is a big driver of the fallen mentality. So- um, when Eve falls, she starts thinking about things in terms of superior and inferior. Mm. Whereas before they fall, they think about they think about who they are in terms of um, sort of um, like conforming to their creatureliness. God made us and planted us here for a reason and we are happy if we kind of submit to that. And we are unhappy if we try to fight it. Mm. Um, anyway, um, the next interesting thing is... Um, so Satan comes to Eve as a snake and, um, uh, and he goes inside the snake and there's this hilarious scene where he's about to jump in the snake's mouth and he has this moment where he just goes, (sighs) (laughs) I used to be the glorious prince of heaven and now I'm jumping and mixing myself with bestial slime. Mm -hmm. That's what he says. And he's like, but you know. What you, you got to do, what you got to do, when you're like ripping the system. So when you when you got to get angry with God, sometimes you got to roll around in the mud. So uh, he jumps into the snake's mouth. The snake is upset about it, yeah, understandably. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't have a. He doesn't do have a say him. in it. He doesn't have a say and he doesn't really have a shot. And then when Satan is in there, he doesn't realize, but he learns two books later that he can't get out, Oh, that God sort of shuts the door on him. And so Satan gets stuck in the snake. So when we talk that about Satan- That has got to be a
2: bad realization. Uh, yeah.
1: And so it, so Satan gets stuck <laughs> like in the snake. He it's can't
2: like, get out. It's like that moment when your mom's like, keep making that face. It's going to stay that <laughs> yeah, way. And he and made the face and, and- it's
1: And it's stuck. It's that moment when you realize your keys are in the car and Mm. everything's locked. You know, just that kind of moment. So Satan's stuck in the snake and he can't get out. And he's a little embarrassed going back to hell because they're all glorious angels, at least in his mind. And he's a snake. Mm. And he kind of slithers back. but But he did the thing, so they should praise him. But he's very relieved that when he gets back to hell, he finds out that... All of the other demons have made similar mistakes. Turn into and they have jumped into different kinds of creatures, and most of them are lobsters, and a lot of them are millipedes and scorpions and stuff. And so every time he gives speeches, when they clap, it's just click, 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 <laughs> click, 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 so click, click, click.
2: I'm wondering if the guy whose idea it was to like, inhabit lobsters for the day, he's like, I know we're all in hell, but let's have a rave and be lobsters. <laughs> click, and click, 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 and like, he sold it to everybody, and then they were all lobsters, and then they, they can't get out. All right, right? And so all then I'll all hate. Yeah. That guy, yeah. Denny, yeah.
1: Denny the party guy. Demon Denny. Anyway, so um, that's not the interesting part of book nine. Oh, so he jumps into the snake's mouth, and when he goes to tempt Eve, uh, it says that he, like, stands up like an orator, but <laughs> it's kind of adorable because he's a little snake. snake. Um, and he goes to Eve, and he um, offers many different kinds of arguments why she should eat the fruit, and... Um, and there's a bunch in there. And I don't know how much we want to get into the, the arguments that he has. You know, Was that
0: the level up thing that you talked about?
1: But, that's, but then there's one argument that oh. convinces her. Oh, what are the arguments? Um, so then he says, uh, let's see here. So he, um, well, first talks to the tree. Maybe I'll read a little bit. He says, yeah. first, this is, so, this is the famous passage of when Satan causes Eve to fall. Oh, sacred, wise, and wisdom-giving plant. Mother of science, now I feel thy power within me clear, not only to discern things and their causes, but to trace the ways of highest agents deemed however wise. So his first argument is he goes to the—he starts talking to the tree, and he's a snake. And Eve was like, how can the snake be talking? You're just a beast. And he says, I ate the fruit. Uh, and so when he, he talks this, he says to the, to the tree, Mother of science, because I ate you, I can now understand the heavens. And this is a thing that Adam has wanted to do the whole book. Yeah. He wants to understand the heavens. We, you can assume that if Adam was present, this would be the argument that would cause him to want to eat the fruit. Not so much with Eve. Um, um, understand the heavens is not as big a deal for her. Um, but we spend a lot of time in class talking about how Satan calls the tree of knowledge and the thing that causes mankind to fall the mother of science. Huh. You, you know how I feel about science. Very
0: highly. <laughs> you love it. <laughs> no,
1: I hey, guess what? That's also part of our next episode. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I'm look, looking forward hey, to it. Yeah. Anyway, so that, that's one of the arguments. It gives you knowledge of the things and their causes. Um, you're not going to die because I ate the fruit and I'm still alive, Eve. And also, yeah, maybe you're going to die, but the thing that dies is your humanness because you're going to be a god. So that's what God meant when He said you're going to die. Humans are going to die. You're going to be gods, Um, and then, and then He basically says the the arguments that uh, this yeah He's got one argument that convinces Eve, and He starts with it by saying, "I ate this fruit and I went from snake to man. If you eat the fruit, you will go from man to God. And you know what, Eve? This has kind of been God's plan all along. He put this here as a test." Because what's your job, Eve? What are you supposed to do? Well, you're supposed to fill the earth and subdue it and then turn into—and then you will be like gods. If you eat the fruit, you will be like gods. God is just wanting—he put this here, and he's going to be so proud that you guys decided that you weren't scared of death, and so you ate the fruit, and now you're going to be gods. That's the test. It's a test within a test. This is the, what God's testing you, to see if you have what it takes to be God's. He's giving you the thing, but he's telling you not to do it, and he's just trying to see if you have, like, the cones to take it. Mm. This is essentially Satan's argument. And the thing that convinces Eve is this idea that if I eat this, I will f- complete my mission. Mm. If I eat this, I will get my last task on my checklist done, which is to be like God's.
2: And so she goes for the shortcut. Well, also— w- I mean, she had no conception of de- deception. Right, exactly. Evil. There's yeah, no right. sin in the world. Mm-hmm. And so, why would this fun little snake yeah, lie to her? Lie before, yeah. Though. And so she's like, oh, Cause, cause You okay, and me I probably would have been like, no. And you learned this all yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, mm-hmm. you're figuring this out, Mr. Snake? Yeah. Like, we'd be a little skeptical of what was going on, but that's because we have a conception of sin, mm-hmm. right? She had never hit anything like that. Everyone she knew loved her and was good and Mm -hmm. wanted good things for the world. She knew Adam and she knew Raphael. That was Mm -hmm. it, and God,
1: Mm -hmm. right? And all the animals appreciate her, and whenever she comes around, everyone's just like, you are the mother of creation, and everyone is very... And they look prettier because she's there. Eve is reverently held in high esteem because she is the only thing in all of creation that can create another thing that bears God's image. This is a high calling for Eve. Adam can't do it, the angels can't do it, and none of the beasts can do it. So Eve has this capacity to recreate things that are in God's image, and everyone's like, that's that's a different and new thing. Um, we don't talk too much about it in this class, but I always want to talk about, like, love your mom when we talk about this passage because, I mean, just motherhood and childbearing is... is something that I think a lot of people kind of, you know, look down upon as, well, you're not contributing to like the marketplace or whatever. Right. And we, you know, uh, we as Christians always need to realize, remember that like the capacity for life is more, should be one of those beautiful things that we uh, love more than wealth and ease and prosperity and any other, pretty much almost any other thing. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, in, in our temporal existence. And so our, or, you know, our ordered affections. I know I just won tons of brownie points with all the moms that are listening to our podcast.
2: Um, you know that this is going to be, like that little clip is going to be sent in email. <laughs> like times. on a Christmas, like you yeah. didn't call. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so um, um, So
1: the thing that gets Eve thinking that this is a good idea, her head just gets all t- twisted and turned around. It's like these half truths sound convincing. Oh, this was good God's plan all along. Why didn't I see that before? Yes, this completes the mission. And maybe there's a little bit of like, we can get this done a little bit faster. Isn't that great? Um, and so then she eats the fruit. And um, so the big thing to, take, thing to take away with this is Eve is tr- tempted and falls according to the things that, she, her nature, the, the yep. things that she resonates more deeply with. The knowledge thing doesn't hit her. I can know the heavens. Nah, no, thanks. Um, um, and, and actually, all of his attempts at flattery don't work. She's not flattered, and she's like, I am gorgeous, so why not be more gorgeous? Like, those things don't resonate, don't resonate with her. Because there's, no, there's not a lot of pride there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so there, there, there are scenes where uh, Eve has the potential for it. When she sees her image in the waters, she's like, I'm gorgeous. And she has a desire to want to just look at herself forever which is a natural desire for beauty. And God has to say, you will be more beautiful if you mix with Adam. And she sees Adam and she's like, he's not as gorgeous as me. (laughs) Um, But then she realizes that being able to make a child is better than being able to stare at yourself in a mirror forever. Um, Anyway. It's the the lesson Narcissus didn't learn. Did not learn. Um, So Eve falls according to her nature. and The thing that deeply resonates with her is the thing that is pretty much central to her character. And I think this is an interesting thing because yeah. um, we've talked about besetting sins before. Yeah. yeah, and we've talked about um, – I, I think that each individual person, the, the place where you are going to fall hardest or have the hardest sin to untangle in your life is going to be that thing that is more central to your character.
2: Hmm. Um, so yeah, so I, like uh, somebody who, who gets addicted to gambling, it's because they're a risk taker, mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily a bad quality. can be a really good quality. They are willing to do things that have unsure outcomes that can benefit everybody, right? They start a good business, they do service, they're willing to ask a girl out that's way out of their league. Like Those things could end really well, but, but not it's, or they're people but not pleasers. Gambling. Maybe they are like charitable by nature, and they just say, "If I just had some money, like
1: I can, you know, really turn this situation around. Like I can get my family back on its feet. I can do this kind of thing." And you know, that's coming from a, a charitable heart. Um, but it's turned. It's being twisted into a vice. And I think so. Like a fruitful exercise is that if each person can really think about, like, what's that thing I just can't just get out of my uh, this fallenness of my character. Follow that rabbit trail and you will find the thing that you are
2: strongest in. Um, and maybe a method for turning it from sin to goodness. Like, okay, my my propensity for this thing is coming out in this negative way. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can re-channel that to something positive and because it's coming out of me, I won't have to mm-hmm. have the sin anymore. Uh,
1: the, the, the coward is actually the leader, mm-hmm. you know, the person who would be a great leader, um, the... Um, uh, the um, the lecherous or the person that loves base things is actually somebody that will appreciate and can create beautiful things. I don't know. I am i don't know what the—I'm sure there's a medieval monk somewhere who's done the pie, uh, done the chart yeah. to talk about, like, these various <laughs> things. But, but you're um, saying, so
0: behind whatever that besetting sin is, there's is something that is good.
1: There is something that is not just good, but maybe the thing that is really central to your character—to who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. And for Eve— um, as the mother of, of humans, as the mother of creation, it is this desire to, uh, to create beautiful things and to improve beauty. So, good thing, to improve that which God has given you. Um, you see it again reflected in um, the personification of wisdom in Proverbs 31. Like, wisdom is this person... Uh, symbolized by this, the, the, this woman, this good wife, who can take good things and can amplify the good things of the family through her industriousness. Eve's kind of that way. Um, anyway, so she falls according to her nature, and then when she falls, um, she begins to uh, uh, frame things in... Let's see if I can find it. Um, oh, yeah, the, the best part... Not the best part, but when she eats the fruit, nature sighs. Mm. I don't know what that sounds like, but it must have been heartbreaking to hear. And it says that she plucked, she ate, earth felt the wound, and nature from her seat, sighing through all her works, gave signs of woe that all was lost. So I don't know what nature sighing sounds like, but it must have been terrible. And then she's got this big old speech where she's like, I don't think God can see me. Um, And she's kind of concerned that she's naked. Um, And then she begins... Her first fallen act is she begins to think about wh- where she ranks in relation to Adam wow and she gets real kind of concerned that Adam is superior to her
0: so that kind of hierarchy thing.
1: that hierarchy thing yeah. so she begins to see her relationship with Adam in terms of who's better than who and adam's and she's like, what didn't God put Adam in charge um um, and is he not superior? And she says, for
2: for inferior, who is free? Mm. Isn't that the same sin Satan had? Mm-hmm. Like she oh. instantly falls into the same mm-hmm. sin that made him fall
1: in the first place. Yeah. So the very argument about like her saying that, so she, she basically says, I'm going to level the playing field by make, causing Adam to fall. First she says, maybe I could really just troll him. Like I'm now, <laughs> I can really turn his head because he loves me, and because I know the knowledge of good and evil, I can really just get him to do what I want to do. But then she says, but eventually God's going to figure that out and maybe create a new perfect Eve for him to love and then blast me into nothingness. So it's better to cause him to fall. And so she says, um, um, where was it? Um, Confirmed, then I resolve. Adam shall share with me in bliss or woe. So dear I love him that with oh, that with him all deaths I could endure. Without him live no life. So the other little tidbit besides just once she begins to fall, she begins to become obsessed with rank and hierarchy and who's better and who's in charge and who's not in charge and who's given and taken orders. Um, uh, she begins to – she has this – her love for Adam changes from what it was before to – like this, we're going down together. And there are students in the class that kind of think that's romantic. They're like, oh, that's so romantic. Like, they're just gonna, you know, hand in hand walk into the darkness together. And then there are students who are like, that's not it's that's not, not romantic at all, that's right. that's terrible. Um, that's not love, because it's bad for Adam, it's bad for Eve, how can what's bad for somebody wishing that on Adam be actual love? Because
0: what she's wishing for them is the woe, it's the second part of that. Yeah, that, yeah, th- yeah. There's no bliss.
1: In there's no bliss, it. yeah. it's woe. It's the Death Cab for Cutie song. I'll Follow You. Exactly. I think about it every time I hear I'll Follow You into the Dark. Uh, Heaven and Hell have no vacancy signs. I think about it all the time and it makes me mad. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's true. And uh, anyway. You
0: play that song for the kids to.
1: I do not. That song is wrong. I do not. um, I don't want to. Yeah, they'll be like. I feel like like that's drifting into weird English teacher territory. Where it's like, hey, kids, I found this song (laughs) that that I think really hammers home this point. It's from a hip band called Death Cab for Cutie. And they're like, oh my goodness, my dad likes that music, right? Or whatever. Um
2: we're getting older, Hannenberg. Don't give me that look. Hey, he's he's still putting out albums. He <laughs> married Zoe Deschanel, right? <laughs> Did they're, he really? Yeah. They actually got married and got divorced. Okay, oh, Kitty was formed in 1997. Yeah. Y'all. I just want to yeah, say that. So yeah. these kids were not even born. Yeah. Yeah, but um, they they're still making music. they were on the Twilight soundtrack, my fair.
1: friend. Okay, wow. hey, you know,
2: point Tenenberg. <laughs> um anyway,
1: so there's still love in post-lapsarian world, but it's this love that is now completely twisted in with this sort of like sickly sticky sweet um we're going down together if the darkness is coming I'm taking you with me which teenagers find kind of romantic until they sort of take a step back
2: and I I usually say like all right but what happens in 15 years and they're like oh yeah that's not that's not good yeah it's romantic until they live it once yeah and they have alienated themselves from their families Mm -hmm. their work, their school, their everything, mm-hmm. and all they have is this other person, and then you begin to get annoyed with mm-hmm. the other person. Yep. It's the same problem that Francesca and Paolo have in Perfect. The Inferno, Hell. right? They they fell because they, it was lust and they literally followed each other into the dark, and now they're stuck together. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't even refer to him by his name. Mm, She's dang. like, this one, I'm Oof. stuck with this one all eternity, and kind of points at him. Eesh. And it's just, you can tell it's awkward, and he sort of like cries and doesn't look at her, and mm. They're not happy together. They're not happy together, yes.
0: Is Romeo and Juliet before or after this book? Uh,
2: Before this book. But, I mean, same same kind
1: of concept. I've had students who always say, that sounds like something Romeo would do. I'm like, yep, that's exactly something Romeo would do. Say that kind of thing. Um, Then the last little thing to note is when Adam sees Eve, it's kind of heartbreaking. So when he wasn't with her, he didn't end up doing a lot of work. He actually made her a, like, crown of flowers Mm. that he was going to give her. It's kind of sweet. And so when he sees Eve... And she's coming towards him, and she realizes that the best way to get Adam to fall is she basically can seduce him. She's like, he loves me. He's crazy about me. I can get him to do anything. Um, and when she comes, she comes like guns blazing. Mm-hmm. And when he sees her, it's like he literally has a, like, record scratch va-va-voom moment, like, what has happened to the her? The cartoon eyeball yeah. bug out. And-, and he and then the crown of flowers falls from his hand, and Milton says that when it hits the ground, all the roses wither. Um, and then— Eve um, says the tree was not what we were told. She still sort of believes what Satan says. says. She doesn't eat it, and she's like, oh, no, this is actually – I've actually fallen and done a bad thing. She doesn't sort of realize that she has sinned. She realizes that something's changed, but she just is like, so this is what being a god feels like. And, um, And so she comes, and she says the tree is not what we were told. It has actually opened my mind. You should eat it with me. And Adam knows exactly uh, what is happening, and he, re- so, and he falls according to his nature too. Now, his nature was to know things and he, an abundance and to understand the heavens, and, and he just is curious. And he reasons that he has two options. He can reject the fruit, and Eve will die, and he won't have her anymore, and he's going to go back to that position when he was by himself with just the animals. Or he can eat the fruit and be with her. And the reason why Adam wants to be with her, yes, it's because of love, but it appeals to his nature in that Adam conversing with Eve, um, he realized has expanded his understanding of the world. Mm. And so I tell my students, like, you understand things more when you have conversations about them than if you just sit and think about them yourselves. This is why we do English class this way, is because when we go back and forth and we talk about stuff, it is expansive. We can learn more things together than we could by ourselves. And this is what Adam has learned with Eve. Um, So the very thought of him not being with her makes him feel like his world is going to get narrower and smaller. And then the other reason is um, because of their sexual union, there's a level of knowing one another that he would not have by himself. And, you know, in the Bible, they talk about when Adam lay with his wife and knew her. There's this idea that that, act of sexual Congress is something that where you in that intimacy can know something and be with that person in a way that no one else can and no one else
2: is in that marriage union. So Adam is- is, So this is interesting because it makes me think of a couple things. First, the in Norms and Nobility, the author talks about how we all imagine our childhood as this idyllic time and- Educators always try to meet kids where they are. But the truth is, kids want to be adults. They don't want to be where they're at. They don't want to be where they are. They want to be Mm adult-like. And one of those things is they know that we know more than they do, Mm -hmm. right? We have, at least many of us, lost our innocence Mm -hmm. at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, And they might see that as a part of adulthood. And one of the things where they fall is they think, if I can know this thing that I don't know, this sin, gambling, pornography, whatever... I will become, mature. I'll know, yeah, mature. I'll know more about it. I, it's. I. I think part of it is a temptation towards maturity, mm-hmm. knowledge, and just knowing more about the world. And mm-hmm. so, because I, I don't think that they necessarily buy the truth that we're like, if you listen to this and if you go down that road, it's not going to be healthy. And they're like, but you did. You know it. It's going to make me more like an adult. Mm-hmm. And and it's. I mean, part of it's just curiosity killed the cat, right? Yeah. They, the more they know about the world, the more complete they feel. And, or the other, how do we warn kids against that? Or the other lie that they have, which is,
1: um, if I know it and experience it, I'll know why I shouldn't do it in the future. And actually, Satan gives that argument. He's like, if you know, if you know evil, well, what's the line that he actually says? He says basically that, um, if you know evil, you can avoid it. Yeah. And he says, um, um, that's crazy. Oh, shoot. Where was it? Um, Um, I'm sorry I'm going to be able to find it quick enough but he essentially gives uh, the argument that he says um, um, if you know evil it'll be easier uh, yeah here we go Um, um, of good how just of evil if what is evil be real why not known since easier shunned? So he basically gives the argument like, if you can know evil, you can avoid it faster. Um, and I, I, that's the thing a lot of students sort of say like, I just need to make mistakes so I can learn like for myself. I, I mean, I understand. Get out it. I understand the reasoning behind it, but what I told them, I said that is only true if evil can remain just in the head. Mm. But if you fill your head with knowing evil, it is eventually going to bleed into the heart and into the actions and into the habits and then into the character. Um, so it is it is um, yeah, it, it is an infection that will spread. It's not something you can contain just in a knowledge, just in, in knowing something.
2: Like Father Brown says, you can only maintain a level of evil. Like you can maintain a level of good, mm-hmm. but you can you cannot maintain a level of evil. Mm-hmm. you will either, Turn away from away. it or become more evil. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, what were you going to say? I've, I've quoted
0: it before. It's um, that experience is the teacher of fools. And so uh, a, someone who someone who chooses sin will still have that consequence. Um, you will learn the lesson one way or the other. You just mm. choose whether it's the easy lesson of avoiding that sin in the first place or Of experiencing it. Mm -hmm.
1: And so Adam chooses to fall with Eve because of a fear of narrowing his horizons, essentially. If I don't know... He basically says, I will not have someone to talk to, and therefore I will know less things, and I will not have someone to to know. I will not have someone to love and know. And he definitely means it in in sort of a sexual way. And so a lot of people, when they read it, they're like, oh, he's just a 17-year-old boy, and he can't imagine a life without sex. And it's not that at all. It's it's that... um, The intimacy is that that sort of the wind when he when he meets Eve and is with Eve and is married to Eve. There's a window in his heart that opens that he didn't know was there, and there's this whole other um, landscape of knowing. That is beyond just what he can observe in the heavens and the animals. It's the knowing of loving a person, and if that is taken away, he thinks that that is so intolerable. So Adam's mistake is literally he loves Eve more than God. That's that's the sin, and that's what God condemns him for. And that's that fancy word that um, AJ likes, um, where love of love
2: of of partner trumps love of other things.
0: From
2: Lewis, wasn't that? Luxuriousness. You love your your partner. Overly much, and it's, I think it's specifically man to wife. Yeah, you love and, your wife more. than And you.
1: students have a hard concept with that. They're like, "How can love be if mm. it's just really intense? How can it be wrong?" And it's because it's it's directed. It's directed world. in the wrong in the wrong way, or it trumps the. Uh, it's um, a disordered
0: love. It's a disordered it love. It
1: becomes more important than your love of God. Mm-hmm. And you see the seeds of that planted earlier, like when Adam um, was warning Eve. His motivation was her as opposed to God's command. Um, Anyway, so those are just little tidbits in Book Nine that I think are really fascinating. And um, when you have the sort of framework of thinking about Adam and Eve... Now, if you you just read it, I mean, that guide for C.S. Lewis and this idea that Adam and Eve have these natures that are appealed to really opens up these windows into, into sort of understanding... Understand this human nature.
0: Should you read the intro from Lewis before you read? I think anything?
1: oh, definitely oh, okay. yes. Um, for and sure. the so, one last thing I'm gonna I'll say about just the nature of Adam and the nature of Eve is just a bit of interpretive warning. A lot of students think like oh, Milton's saying girls are this way they mm. they and Milton's saying boys are this way, and that's not really what Milton's saying um, because when Adam and Eve have children, their natures get mixed into a child, and so. Um, human beings have, um, both of these aspects. So what Milton's not saying, girls are this way, boys are this ways. What Milton is saying is what Eve represents is almost like the feminine. We can call what she is the feminine and what Adam represents. We can call the masculine and the feminine and the masculine are both things that they represent that are reflections of something in God. Um, so, uh, and then those things together are mixed in, in their progeny. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I have not ever tackled that sort of thorny issue to talk about the concept of feminine and masculine classically versus the mm-hmm. sort of the concepts of what, what we talk about in terms of gender and, uh, and uh, what it means to be a boy when it means to be a girl in our modern age, which is a real thing thorny issue for lots of people
0: and maybe something for another podcast yeah. i think it'd be a good uh, topic but
1: but suffice to episode. say uh, at least in ancient rome there were att- attitudes and dispositions and aspects that they were that they called feminine and attitudes and dispositions and aspects that they called masculine and they were of different mixtures and different and everybody
2: yeah
1: um, um yeah
2: Anyway, we can talk more about that maybe another time.
0: Any other last thoughts?
2: So uh, this is the quote that I wanted to pull out from Shakespeare last time. Mm. Uh, so just a little commonplace. There is a tide in the affairs of men, which, taken at the flood, leads on to fortune. Omitted, all the voyage of their life is bound in shallows and in miseries. So just a little quote on timing. Good stuff. You can use it to encourage yourself if you ask, want to ask somebody out. <laughs> yep. There's a moment you gotta seize it. Uh unfortunately, this podcast will be coming after Valentine's Day. Is it is,
0: true.
1: but we are recording it before um, um, the magic of radio. Well,
0: hey, uh, thank you all for listening. Um, you can send us an email, uh, thoughts, topics, um, anything you want to send our way. Classical stuff at VeritasAcademy.net. Uh, should I give the Twitter? Do it, really? Do it. Wow. Okay. Do it. Hey, if you want to follow us on Twitter. Uh, this is before anything has been tweeted, and I am the only follower of it as I, as I make this announcement. So please double our, our count. No. Buckle up for um, cat uh, memes. We, <laughs> please tell me that's all that we're going to do.
2: This tweet. is why <laughs> they don't give me the access to
0: Twitter. Because <laughs> that's all it would be. Yep. Uh, we, are, we are at, I don't even know how to pronounce this. It's I guess it's it's classical stuff without the first A and without the I. So it's C L S S C A L stuff. Yeah. Classical, classical stuff. Hey, <laughs> if
1: you are at classical stuff and you want to just donate us your Twitter handle,
0: please hey, do that. Please do that. That would make our day. Uh, but I think that's it. Anything else from y'all?
2: Not for me. Hey, that's
0: it. It's always a pleasure. Uh, we will talk again soon. Catch you next time. See y'all. Catch you next time. Bye.